8.17. So from complicated politics in Northeast Asia and the Middle East, for now, we turn our eyes to Latin America. While a new president championing social tolerance has just taken office in Costa Rica, Venezuela and Colombia will soon hold their own presidential elections with much at stake. And we've talked extensively about Venezuela's economic crisis in the last few months. Professor Jennifer Piscopo, who's teaching Latin American politics at Occidental College in Los Angeles, can now join us on the line. Thank you for taking the time. Hello. Uh, and maybe we'll start with Costa Rica, with uh, something very definitive to talk about there. It has a new young president, Carlos Alvarado Quesada, 38 years old, winning the election last month, sworn in as president last week. Was that expected? Was there anything particularly dramatic about it for those who weren't following developments? Sure. Well, the um, second round election, so Costa Rica, like many countries in Latin America, will go to a second round in the presidential election if no candidate wins uh, 40% of the vote in the first round. So the second round um, in Costa Rica ended up being a little bit dramatic. It was a competition between um, the president who was elected, Carlos Alvarado, and an unrelated Alvarado, Fabrizio Alvarado. And these two candidates represented very opposite visions of Costa Rica. So um, Carlos Alvarado, who eventually won, was um, representing the incumbent left-wing party, as you mentioned, um, championing tolerance, social equality. His competitor, who many were surprised, made it to the second round. Um, Fabrizio Alvarado represented the National Restoration Party, a right-wing party with lots of evangelical support, running on anti-gay marriage campaign. And so these were two very opposed divisions for the country. And so that second round attracted a lot of attention for which vision Costa Rican voters would ultimately choose. In this year's election, uh, we, we'd seen this battle then between the left and, and certainly more conservative Christian circles. Are there any particular reasons why we, we saw such a, a young pair of candidates, though? Because even this uh, conservative counterpart was 43 years old. Right. I think the youth reflects a broader trend um, that's happening in Costa Rica, but elsewhere in Latin America, where the traditional political parties um, have been for quite some time in crisis. There's widespread voter dissatisfaction with economic management, with approach to security, and that's caused a lot of problems for the traditional political parties, and it's opened up a lot of opportunities for new parties um, to run, and these new parties need to convince voters that that they're doing something different. And often the youthful nature of the candidates can be one way that political parties can try to position themselves as breaking with the old guard and offering voters something new. Now, even though Carlos... Apologies, it looks like we've... Uh... Party, that in... I just want to jump in there for a second, Professor Piscopo, because we oh, lost the line for a second, but it looks like we got you back. So please carry on. And uh, again, let's just double check on that line for a moment. Uh, it'd be good to uh, get Professor Piscopo back on the line so that we can discuss in more detail the situation in Venezuela as well, particularly, but also uh, Colombia is about to see an election. It's fascinating, isn't it, when you see an election between two candidates who are so young in 43 and 38 years old uh, and to have a 38-year-old winning, um, appealing to those 
of a more liberal mindset advocating to legalize gay marriage, for example, against a, a candidate who was uh, an evangelical pastor, is an evangelical pastor, a singer, a former journalist. Um, let's, uh, I think, say once again good morning to Professor Piscopo. Good morning. I hope we're connected now. Sorry yeah. to the listeners out I mean, there. I do want to ask you quick, quickly about Venezuela and Colombia as well. Can we just sum up on Costa Rica the, the sort of significance of this, especially for its economy, as, as that might relate more acutely with the rest of the world? Absolutely. So Costa Rica, um, like many countries, is facing a deficit, right? And there's really two basic things you can do when you're facing a deficit. You have to either bring more money in, raise taxes, and or stop spending as much, right? Cut programs, cut benefits. Because there's a crisis in Latin America with political parties in Costa Rica and elsewhere, no political party is actually getting a majority in the legislature. That actually makes it really hard for presidents to govern, to actually pass economic reforms, especially if those economic reforms that are needed are likely to be unpopular in some ways as raising taxes and or cutting programs usually are. So I think that... Um, the new Costa Rican president, although he has a really positive message, his, they won the presidency, they don't control the majority in the legislature, and that will make some of the needed economic reforms difficult to pass. What about then Venezuela? Speaking of economic challenges, I mean, that takes things to the, the next level. For, for anyone who's not followed closely the situation, I think this statistic sums it up, that uh, Venezuela has seen to the uh, end of February 2018, a year of inflation that's seen prices rise by more than 6,000%. That's according to the opposition-dominated National Assembly. But still, on the ground, uh, the shortages of basic resources bear that out, don't they? Absolutely. I think the situation in Venezuela is extremely serious. It's extremely serious for folks in Venezuela who are lacking access to food, to medicine, to infrastructure. And I think an, another important dimension is extremely serious for other countries in Latin America who are starting to receive an increasing number of Venezuelan migrants, not just in South America, but also an increasing number of Venezuelan migrants headed to Mexico. So there's national and regional implications to the crisis in Venezuela. Well, emblematic of the crisis, U.S.-based cereal maker Kellogg pulling out of Venezuela because of the economic challenges, a move that President Nicolas Maduro, who's been in office uh, since 2013, described as unconstitutional, but he also seemed to try to appeal to workers. He, he had a few cheers uh, when he announced that there's begun judicial proceedings against Kellogg's and that uh, he's taken the decision to deliver the company to the workers. Are moves like that enough yes. to guarantee yes. his camp success in this election? What's very important about Venezuela's election is that it's not really an election. Um, there's absolutely no doubt that Maduro will win, and it's not an election because there's no effective opposition. The um, popular opposition leaders are either in jail or in exile or barred from standing, and the official position of Maduro's opposition is that they will boycott the election because it's being unfair. There is an opposition candidate running whose argument is that the way to beat Maduro is at the ballot box, but 
we can expect that those in the opposition will boycott the election. And the election is going to be flawed and rigged in other ways. Maduro controls the election board. So we can expect that vote, voting ca- voter voting counting can be manipulated. And the Miami Herald was reporting this week that uh, voters in Venezuela who have a state uh, a food subsidy card. This is the card that the government gives them that gives them access to food subsidies. And of course, the government is controlling the supply of food right now in Venezuela. So the Miami Herald is reporting that the um, precincts in Venezuela will attempt to scan those cards, which of course means that people are going to be pressured to casting their vote for Maduro or those who don't want to vote for Maduro will stay home because they are afraid of being um, having their food subsidy cut off. So I think it's really important to underscore that this is not a free and fair election that will be taking place. Appalling, really. Um, I said we'd talk about Colombia. We don't have much time, but can you Perhaps just sum up, if possible, um, as briefly as you can, how Colombia's election will relate to the wider region and, and why all of us should pay attention. I think what we can expect in Colombia is the front runner right now represents um, the coalition in Colombia that opposes the peace deal with the FARC, and that has consequences for Colombia attempting to negotiate similar peace deals with other rebel groups who are not as famous as the FARC, but also have yet to lay down their arms. And I think it has consequences for the broader region that would be anticipating this right-wing swing in Colombia. And we've seen the turn to the right in other Southern American countries, Brazil and Argentina. So I think those thinking about broader political trends even if they don't care so much about the FARC, will want to be paying attention to which way Colombia votes. Well, thank you so much for the explanation, Professor Piscopo. Thank you so much for having me.